One, two, three, four, five, six for us. You know that? You want to sing? One, two, three, four, five, six for us. One, two, three, four, five, six for us. But the seventh is for Jesus. Mm, all good theology starts in the Craterall Sabbath School class. It's also where all bad theology starts. One, two, three, four, five, six for us. The seventh is for Jesus. Good theology or bad theology? As a grown man, Bishop Shelby Spung reflected on the Sabbath of his youth. And he wondered from his adult perspective, was the Sabbath of my youth the Sabbath of my God? Was the Sabbath of my youth the Sabbath of the Bible? These are his reflections, and I chose specifically to pick upon an Episcopalian rather than an Adventist. See if it sounds familiar. In the home in which I was raised, Sunday was our Sabbath. Sunday was the most unpleasant day of the entire week. It seemed to me that all the forces converged upon me that day in a conspiracy to keep me from being a normal little boy. I had to wear special clothes. Fancy, stiff, restrictive clothes that I dare not get dirty or torn. These special clothes escorted me to Sunday school with my mother, who herself seldom attended. My father never went to Sunday school. I learned that Sunday was for kids and Sunday school was for kids. I looked forward to growing up, too, just like my parents, so I could do whatever I wanted on Sunday. Sunday school was a chore for me, but I will tell you my most enjoyable moment was getting my perfect attendance medal. When I got home, I was not allowed to change from my clothes, and I could not get my clothes dirty. I hated those clothes. Maybe this is why they put children in restrictive binding clothes, so they can't break the Sabbath. I could not play marbles. I could not play tag. I could not play baseball. I couldn't even roll a bat. As I looked around with my childish eyes, it seemed as though all the adults were doing as they pleased. Only the kids were prohibited on Sabbath. Maybe only kids have to keep Sabbath, I thought. Maybe Sabbath is is like an allergy you outgrow. Movies out, games out, especially card games. Those are the work of the devil. Television, not yet invented. Watching the the Charlotte Hornets play baseball was making others work, I was told, not allowed to watch. Although sometimes I just did disobey and sneak off to Griffith Park to see a game anyway, especially if it was a doubleheader, I considered it worth the punishment. Sunday dragged on for an eternity. It bored me beyond endurance. I could visit relatives and I could read. I was strongly encouraged to read the Bible, but the yellow gold pages of these thin leafed Bibles barely worked for my tiny fingers. The these, the thou's, the ascus, the begus, they were incomprehensible at best and silly at worst. I believe my distaste for the King James translation was born on Sunday afternoons. I really did not like God, he said. I was convinced that God had never been a boy. He did not know what fun was. He never smiled beneath his long beard. And I knew this because one day I asked my mother, why are Sundays so different? And she said to me, well, because it's the Lord's Day. 
in my mind, anyone who had a day like that, well, they just couldn't be very nice. So he asks, is the Sabbath of my youth the Sabbath of my God? And is it the Sabbath of our Bibles? Welcome those of you who are visiting for this holiday weekend and perhaps for graduation. You've dropped in on commandment number four. We're in the middle of a Ten Commandments sermon series. Commandment number four, 296 words in all Ten Commandments. But the fourth commandment gets 94 of those words. It's one-third of the conversation. Just by that alone, that makes it interesting, doesn't it? The Ten Commandments begin in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2 with this verse. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Therefore, skip down to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't you just want to say it with me in this good old King James language? Go ahead. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It is interesting how we move from this commandment to little boys in stiff-necked shirts, afraid of a stiff-necked God. If you survey your Bible, it's noteworthy that the Bible is more concerned with the way of Sabbath than the day of Sabbath. And let me say that another way. Most every time you read a passage in the Bible about the Sabbath, We're not disputing what day of the week should be Sabbath. Sabbath is assumed in our Bibles all the way through the New Testament. The conversation about the day of Sabbath didn't begin until after the New Testament church. So Saturday Sabbath is assumed in our Bible. What all the conversation is about, what everybody stirs about, is the way of Sabbath. What to do with the way of Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But but how? Those first Hebrew followers of Yahweh, they quickly asked, but how do we keep the Sabbath day? Because they'd only been told three prohibitions to the Sabbath commandment. There are only three things that they can't do. They can't build a fire. They, They must remain in one place. And they cannot bear a burden. Now, everybody knows what happens to the man in the book of Numbers in the Bible who lit a fire on the Sabbath. Remember him? He was punished. He was extinguished. And that was a reminder to everybody. Don't don't do those three things on the Sabbath. But they, they didn't know how to apply the Sabbath law. So they began to create some new ideas that would help make them possible to keep the Sabbath. Put some limits on the Sabbath. That's why by the time we get all the way to the New Testament, we have 39 fully developed categories for work. And within each category is a subcategory. And that's why the Sabbath teaching, the Sabbath halakha, by the time of the Jews, and it takes them 200 centuries past the time of Jesus, to get all of this written down. That's why it's the biggest and the fattest teaching of all of theirs. Because they had to know how to apply the Sabbath commandment. So here's a category of work. You're not allowed to move anything or haul anything on the Sabbath. 
No carrying things on the Sabbath. But that wasn't good enough. So the subdivision underneath says, well, you can only carry a, a, a mouthful of milk, a gulpsful. You can only carry enough straw for the mouth of your cattle. You can carry enough rope to make a handle on a bucket. You see how they help themselves out here? That's a subdivision. Or, or you're not allowed to tie or loose things on the Sabbath. No knots. Unless it's a knot you could get undone with one hand. Then you could do it on the Sabbath. See, wouldn't that give pathfinders a whole new goal? What knot can you create that we can do with one hand? These are the subdivisions. And, and here it got even more complicated. Work is defined as something purposefully done in a normal manner. Which means I would normally write with a pen. But if I wanted to write with my elbow or my toes or my mouth, that's abnormal. So I could do that on the Sabbath. You see? Anything that would be normally done as work, if I could figure out how to make it abnormal, I could probably get away with it. And wouldn't this be fun if you were a teenager? Can you imagine what teenagers must have done with these Sabbath regulations? How could I make something normal abnormal? We thought we were creative as kids just turning every game into a Bible text when our parents walked in the room, you know? Right? You know how you did that? Just take something normal and make it abnormal. And it's okay to do on the Sabbath. And furthermore, when you begin the action, if, if you haven't remembered, it's the Sabbath. But by the time you end the action that's supposedly against the law, if sometime in between you remember it's the Sabbath and you regret what you've just done, then you can't be held to the offense. So, for example, if I threw my pen to Pastor Isaac down here, and I'm not supposed to throw on the Sabbath, but if once I released it, I realized it's the Sabbath, it's okay, not a problem. Or if I throw it to Pastor Isaac and Brittany behind him were to jump up and intercept it in midair. Like that. That's not considered breaking the Sabbath because I meant to throw it to Isaac, but she intercepted. Or if while it was in midair, it caught on fire. Never made it to its goal. Couldn't be held responsible for an offense on the Sabbath. Purposeful activity done in the normal manner. But do you see how these little rules not only provided extra limits, but they also allowed for some liberalization of the law. It is never the day of the Sabbath. It's the way of the Sabbath that gets so much interesting conversation in our Bible. And I'd just like to suggest this morning that the way of the Sabbath, what we should do with the Sabbath, the way of the Sabbath becomes much clearer When we look at the God of the Sabbath, you want to know what to do with the way of the Sabbath? Look at the God who stands behind the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for in six days. Who created? God created. Oh, now we have something to talk about. God did what? He created all of this activity in six days. He created. He formed the earth. It's fascinating in Genesis 1-2, when you read the story of creation, Genesis 1 in particular, when there are evening and morning and all the days of creation, it's an interesting parallel where God creates something like light and darkness, but then he fills it with something. He's busy forming things. First three days, he forms. And there's a graph up here to help us. He forms the light, and then he forms the water in the heavens, and then he forms the dry land and the sea. And then he comes back and he fills up 
those three things he formed. He took the empty light and he filled it. And he took the empty waters in the heavens and he put creatures in the, and, and sun, moon, and stars. And he took the dry land and he put animals and humans on it. You see, he's formed something and then he's filled it. And it's all good. And then we get to the seventh day where he creates the Sabbath. But there's nothing, what, what's left? That's everything. The seventh day is the last day of creation. What else is there? Remember two weeks ago when we talked about idols and we said the children of Israel, like all people, were quick to look for their God, to locate their God, to be able to point to something, a rock, a mountain, a tree, and say, that is my God, identifiable, definable, right there, access, no question where your God is. Those gods are all confined, aren't they, to the human reality, to human properties, to physical properties we know about on the earth. And they're all, those gods are also confined by space. But here comes this Yahweh God and, and says, you can't point to me anywhere, but I'm going to create a Sabbath and I'm going to fill the Sabbath up with me. The very presence of God is where, was what the Sabbath is. 24 hours of the presence of God. You want to know where Israel's God is? Well, wait till the seventh day Sabbath comes around and you'll have a chance to commune with that God. That God will be present. It's why Abraham Joshua Heschel has been so helpful to us over the years, defining the Sabbath as a palace in time. And that Sabbath is our great cathedral. This God isn't he's located in space and by physical properties. This is a very different kind of God. And for those of us who love the Jesus stories, by the time we get to Christmas, where Jesus comes as a human and we say, Emmanuel, God with us, God comes close. Do you see that it's long before the Christmas story at Nazareth in Bethlehem? Long before that, God came and was with us. In the Sabbath, at creation, God comes and God's with us. His very presence is there. So when the Sabbath commandment comes around, remember God. Remember this God who fills the Sabbath up with his very presence. Remember this God who has a date with you. One out of every seven days. Remember this, says the fourth commandment. During those 24 hours, you won't burden, you won't labor, you won't carry anything. It'll be for you and God. Now for the Israelites, labor and work was very physically demanding. It was strenuous. They sweat. Their animals sweat. Everything sweats and works hard. And so the Sabbath is a physical rest. I don't work like that, do you? My Monday through Friday, my Sunday through Friday doesn't really look like that. Does yours? A few of you do physical labor for your jobs. So if it's not physical labor, the question really from the passage this morning is, what labors you? What causes you to work? What stresses you? In the world which we live, it is work to stay ahead, would you say? It is work to secure our families and our careers and our futures. It's work to secure our portfolios, our retirement. It's work to secure our science and our technology. It's work to secure our health. It's work to secure our physical safety. It's all so much work. And it doesn't matter if you're 
a little child on the playground trying to make friends, if you're in medical dental school trying to pass boards so you could graduate this weekend, if you're a family and a parent trying to just raise kids that look like this who smile and behave in public, if you're in your golden years and you're missing somebody that you lost and you fight loneliness, if you're in the middle of a a disease process and a treatment, it's work. It's just work to keep up with all of this. And it's work to fight against the world that tells us we don't do any of it very well. Do you feel that in your life? A world that tells us we haven't done any of it very well. A poll for just more all the time. I watched these cars in a parking lot this week. Gentlemen, I don't understand this. I'll just confess right now. It's a Chevy Lowrider with lots of chrome. I know, lots of chrome and custom stuff. And he crawls into the parking lot with that kind of gurgly little pipe in the back, just strutting through the parking lot. So we'll all stop and look at his very cool car. And right behind him comes this, what I thought was a kind of a cute car, the new Mustang with the retro look, right? This one doing the same thing, just kind of cruising into the parking lot. And they're both, they just want looks. They just want everybody to look at them. It's so obvious. And then they find the parking place. What is this, gentlemen? You back into the parking place. Have you ever seen a woman back into a parking place? What is that? They back in so slowly and then they get out and look at their hot car. And they polish something with their elbow while they're flexing a muscle. Whether they're 20 or 80, they all do it the same. (laughs) What is that? I don't know that pole, but I know more about the person in the mall I saw spend several hundred dollars at one time on clothes and cosmetics and goods for the house and things for her children so they would look adorable. I know about that poll and wanting to do that a little better and the world who tells me, well, you've not done it good enough yet. Ah, that's all work. It's work to keep up with everything. And and then comes the Sabbath, friends. And here comes the Sabbath and says, no, 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 for these 24 hours, we're not going to fight over space. We're not going to fight over who owns more and who has more. We're not going to fight over status and and how to get ahead. During this 24 hours, everyone's going to ease back into their true identity. You are not producers and achievers and doers. You are beings made in the image of God. You're not gods unto yourself in case the world had you going this week. Slip back. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And we say, it was very, very good. We rest right back there in our identity. Jewish rabbi Levi says, he saw a man running in the street and he asked him, why do you run? The man said, I'm running after my good fortune. The rabbi chuckled and said, you silly man. Your good fortune has been trying to chase you, but but you're running too fast. Once a week, we remember that making and doing is nothing compared to being with God. Once a week, 
We, 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 we recalibrate and we learn again how to live life on purpose so that on Monday we can go out and for the next six sacred days of work, we can do it according to the will of God with the kingdom of God agenda in our mind. Once a week, we get straightened up to live life on purpose. Now, memory is vital to all of this. To remember, the commandment says to remember. Remembering and memory is more than just not forgetting. To remember is to live again, to think about it again, to experience again. It is to pull the past into the present. And you would know if I asked you to tell me about your first grade teacher or your first car, gentlemen, or your first kiss or a family vacation or or even the death of a loved one. If I said, remember that and tell it to me, you would relive it again. The past would be pulled into the present. There's a little boy in elementary school, first grade, who put me under the rail in the gymnasium and told me I would stay there until I chose to marry him. This happened at recess. And if that wasn't enough, he tied me up with a jump rope to make sure I wouldn't wiggle out. And every time I think about this story, I start to get sort of my my heart races and I I start squirming and kicking and I want to hit somebody because I've been bound. And the little boy said, you'll stay there until you marry me. I stomped my foot and I said, I will not. He said, you will. Look at you. You're tied up. I remember distinctly because then he stood in front of my face and he belched every minute. Another thing I don't understand about boys. (laughs) Although they grow up, I know that. That doesn't work, guys. To belch in her face is not going to make her want to marry you. I remember the story, and you see, I start to live it all over again, and that's the fourth commandment. Remember this God from creation who formed and filled and, and filled the Sabbath with with the very being of the God. Remember and you'll start to relive it. It is paired with the word from Deuteronomy 5. The commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy 5, you know, and this version of the commandment is probably older, where instead of remember the Sabbath day, it says observe or keep the Sabbath day. And if you scan down to verse 15 in this commandment, it says remember, instead of the creation story, this version of the commandment says remember that you were slaves in Egypt And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here comes Deuteronomy with a corollary idea. Observe and keep the Sabbath because remember you were slaves and you're not now because of this outstretched arm of the Yahweh God. And therefore, not only will you have a Sabbath and one in every seven, everything within your gates, a human a possession, anything you have the potential to enslave or abuse will also be free on Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? So here comes Exodus and says, one in every seven, no one will be enslaved. No one will be abused. Doesn't even matter if you know this Yahweh God. You can be an alien, but the benefit of this Sabbath will apply to you. This is why Jewish families sing and dance when the Sabbath hours come. It's why they take their hands and place them over their children and bless them. They say their names out loud and they bless them. It's why they eat the best food and they light the candles. Because the Sabbath is good news. 
remember and observe, they go together. Someone has said this week in a Memorial Day reflection, it's difficult to observe Memorial Day until you remember the experiences of the past. Does that make sense? How would you observe a day that you have no information about? When we were very young, I remember my mom taking us to the Memorial Cemetery, the Willamette National Cemetery in Portland, Oregon, where her father was buried. This is that cemetery. And she took us at a very young age on Memorial Day, and I'll never forget looking out at all those graves and wondering who put the little flags out in straight rows and how did so many people get under the ground and die in this war? My grandfather buried there, served in World War I in France. And then mom told us stories about dad, and dad told us stories, served with the Korean War here, Fort Lewis, stateside, receiving the incoming. And my father-in-law, who served World War II, Battle of the Bulge in Normandy, where he watched his buddies be blown up in front of his face carried them off the battlefield, dead. Lost the feeling and sensation in all of these fingertips from frostbite. I can observe Memorial Day if I remember and know what happened and who these people are and what sacrifices they gave. Remember and observe. They go together. People ask, what does the Bible teach about Sabbath? We don't have time this morning to go through everything the Bible teaches. That would be more than a 10-week long sermon series. Just in the first five books of the Bible, we see the Sabbath comes at Eden in creation as a gift. And if you heard nothing else today, remember that the first time we hear the Sabbath is not in the Ten Commandments. It's where? In the Garden of Eden as a free gift where God comes with God's very self and says for 24 hours, we're going to be together. The next time we hear about the Sabbath, it's man in the wilderness and God teaches the people, I'll provide for you. You won't have to work on the Sabbath. Here's extra manna. And then we hear about it in the Ten Commandments. Remember and observe. You were free and now you're liberated. You're not oppressed anymore. If you moved on forward, every time you read about the Sabbath in your Bible, it's in a new location with new situation. We don't have time to talk about all of that. But by the time the Israelites got into Babylon, when they remembered the Sabbath, they also were hoping a Messiah was going to come on the Sabbath. They were told in Babylonian captivity, not only is this your Sabbath day and hold on to it, but look for your Messiah to come. And Sabbath after Sabbath, the Messiah didn't come. And move on into the New Testament with Jesus and people who were broken and needed to be healed. And you see also the way of Sabbath being discussed. One of the best examples in Luke 13, when Jesus heals a woman who's bent over and crippled, and the authorities get angry at Jesus. They say to him, Luke 13, verse 14, they're indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come to be healed on one of those days. Do not come on the Sabbath. The Lord answered back, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your donkey or your ox and lead it out of the stall and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound, should she not be set free on the Sabbath? We see... The promise of liberation that was in the Old Testament, now in the person of Jesus, as he walks around Palestine, helping people stand up free and be free from Satan in their world. 
Do you see the difference? And as Sabbath moves on, you can look at it in any context. Here are the two ideas that always remain, the two notions in any Sabbath text. The idea of rest, to cease, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, the verb. And the notion that when we stand in Sabbath time, we are not only remembering what happened, but we are looking to the future. That within Sabbath time, everything that speaks about freedom and equality and justice and peace, that shalom peace, that means every, all equilibrium. During the Sabbath hours, we're anticipating a day when Satan won't have hold of our world. Is that good news? Every Sabbath is a celebration of that. That's why there's no better time to say goodbye to our friend Bob than today. Is that true? Because the Sabbath shouts to the world, oh, there's going to be a time when there's no more death. That's why today is the best day for uh, Audra and Raul's baby to be born. 34 weeks, but do you know how long that little baby's been trying to come out? And it finally waits and waits and it comes out healthy on a Sabbath. As if to shake their fist at the world and say to Satan, you're not taking this one. That's a Sabbath day blessing. Sabbath, always rest and always looking towards a day when Satan will not have a hold on this earth. That is very good news. Remember and observe. The two ideas go together. Perhaps we could be a more powerful Sabbath witness in our community if we point people to the Sabbath of Genesis, the free gift, and then we simply stand up and remember and observe week after week. Maybe we'll be the most powerful Sabbath witness in our community when, when people see something is different about us on Sabbath time. On Sabbath time, we recalibrate. We don't buy into the values of the world. And on Sabbath time, we come apart and we decide, no, 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 next week we're going to live life on purpose. Maybe we'll be the most powerful witness in our community if, if they see on Sabbath time, specifically on Sabbath time, We are working to bring healing and wholeness and food and shelter to the people around us who are in need. Wouldn't that be beautiful? I watched a church in the Inland Empire do this after a Sunday service several months ago where they threw open the back doors of the church and all the people come out dressed up. But in the back of the church in the parking lot was a line as long as the lot went, people standing in line to receive food. Most of those people were not in worship. But those people knew that if they were hungry, every Sunday they can go to that church and they can stand in line and take as much food as they need to feed their family. Isn't that beautiful? That's Sabbath liberation. That's Sabbath freedom. Maybe we'll be the most powerful Sabbath witness in our community if we speak a little less about what it is to be the faithful of God at the end of time who have the sign of the Sabbath rather than the mark of the beast who keep all ten commandments, who have the truth, maybe we'll be a more powerful witness if we just stand up and relax into the Sabbath and let the world watch. What do you think? I know we need to close, and you see this vacuum cleaner back here? All first service, it sat in here, plugged, up, plugged into the wall, and we never got to it. And I had more people disturbed about the vacuum cleaner. They thought I was going to vacuum on Sabbath. 
and that somehow um, they had missed something and they couldn't, they couldn't picture what was going to happen. When our girls were little, we had one of them who had a difficult time being put down. Whenever she wasn't in my arms, she was crying. And you can do that for a little while, but it gets in the way <laughs> after a while. It's Kirby on call at the hospital, and I've got these two little ones at home, but I notice that every time I turn a vacuum cleaner on, this is going to be great if I don't know how to turn a vacuum cleaner on, isn't it? I notice that every time I'm vacuuming, she stops crying. So I thought, that's pretty good. It works. So if I had to put her down in a little swing, I would turn the vacuum on and vacuum. But you can only vacuum so much carpet, right? Then I realized um, if I turned the vacuum on and just left it beside her swing, I didn't even have to be present. She could just hear the sound of the vacuum. And I, and I could go do something else and take care of her older sister. But, you know, that wastes a lot of electricity. So we eventually just recorded the sound of the vacuum cleaner. The tape has two sides, 20 minutes each. It is a gift from God. You put in one side, you run to the bathtub and bathe the two-year-old. You know when it's out because she screams and you run back out and you flip it over and you have enough time to get the two-year-old out and her clothes on and read her a story until it's over and this one's screaming again. The vacuum only worked for so long. The noise around her little world in her car seat there, her little swing, only worked for so long because what she really needed was to just be picked up and held. The minute I took her out of the swing and just hold her close, she's quiet. Her respiration's calm. She begins to coo and smile and talk. The noise around her little chair only suffices for so long. It never replaces being picked up and pulled close. Which is what the Sabbath is for us. God picks you up and he pulls you close. And he says, the noise of your world is enough now. Just breathe and look at me. This is the Sabbath day and I'm your God. Is that a picture? One, two, three, four, five, six, four. God, the seventh, is for us. Amen.